Thanks for tuning in to the Happiness Playbook, a podcast that supports your practice of play theory, a life strategy that cultivates hope, generosity, and validation of self and others. Here at the Happiness Playbook, we believe life is a team sport, and we're all in this together. So let's join forces as we focus on the positive and share tips and practices to improve your happiness game. I'm Laurie Florence, and I'll be your host for episode 87 of the Happiness Playbook. For our post-game analysis in our last episode, we talked about the value of games and the importance of practicing responding in calm, affirming ways when we face disappointment and loss. Were you able to take a few minutes and think of a situation that gets your blood boiling, like when you lose a game? Were you able to imagine that same scenario and instead of reacting in anger, role-play a response that's calm? Were you able to celebrate another's victory with them and be happy that they got a chance to feel triumphant, remembering that we all don't win every time? If you came up with a phrase that helps you calm down or remember to celebrate instead of react in anger, share it with us on Instagram or in the comments. Look for the Happiness Playbook on Instagram and Play Theory on Facebook. You can also reply to this episode in the comments on playtheory.org. For our team huddle, I wanted to thank some of the parents of the youth in a Play Theory class that was held recently. One parent said, our whole family has embraced play theory and there's so much less arguing. Thank you. Another said, play theory changed the trajectory of my child's life. They gained skills to manage their anxiety and overcome their fears. Another said, my daughter has always had a beautiful voice, but she was very shy. I'm so grateful for play theory, which gave my daughter the confidence to sing out and share her talents with others. Thank you for that feedback. For our highlight reel, it's the perfect lead into our main topic for this week's episode. People who are in the business of studying such things have determined that how we think about chronic pain can change how we perceive the pain. We've all heard the saying, mind over matter, or it's all in your head. Well, there's really something to it. Clinicians at the Spalding Rehabilitation Network's Outpatient Center, run by the University of Maryland, Duke, and Cornell Medical College, have developed a pain processing therapy, also known as PRT, which is an acronym for pain reprocessing therapy. The idea is that the brain is what informs us when there's discomfort, or as the great stand-up comedian Brian Reagan calls it, pressure. Doctors are good people. That's why they avoid the word pain. It's a buzzword. They won't hit it a lot. They don't want to scare anybody. Doctors will tell you all about pressure. (laughs) They'll tell you all about the pressure you're going to experience. If a doctor tells you're about to feel some pressure, buckle up. (laughs) All pain involves pressure. That's one of the definitions of pain. He could be swinging a two-by-four at your head. In a moment, you're going to feel a little bit of pressure. Call it pressure or pain. The brain is a good place to start when looking for pain relief. In the study at the Spalding Rehabilitation Network's Outpatient Center, participants who were experiencing chronic pain received pain reprocessing therapy, or the PRT, 
Think of it as redefining pain, calling it pressure or something else instead of just pain, as in all caps. The results? Two out of three of the patients saw their pain alleviated with results lasting even into the extended follow-up period. That is great news, especially with the current opioid addiction crisis brought on by so many folks looking for relief from chronic pain. I will put a link to the whole story in our show notes if you're interested in reading more. Now it's time for our play-by-play. Pain is a very real part of our lives. It's unavoidable. It can even strike in the middle of the night. You're blissfully dreaming of faraway lands and fluffy clouds when whammo, out of nowhere, a bear sidles up to you and chomps down on your calf. You regain consciousness with a leg cramp that feels like the dream bear is very real. You weren't doing anything. All of a sudden, you're in this immense pain. So we can't avoid all pain. Here's food for thought, though. Is suffering a necessary part of pain? And another idea, is there a difference between pain and suffering? Let's get a little philosophical. Is suffering a necessary part of life? Pain is essential. We need it for our well-being. It's like an alarm. If you touch a hot stove, if you didn't feel pain, you'd be in danger of having your hand burn up. When I was younger, I ran a marathon. And part of my preparation, I would visualize pain as an alarm clock. So I would address it. I would say, is this an alarm that I'm going to pay attention to? Or can I hit the snooze and ignore it? So when I did feel pain, I had identified if it was just the run of the mill, I'm tired, my feet are sore, or is this an injury that I need to pay attention to because it could have a long-term effect? When I would recognize that it was something that I didn't want to pay attention to because I was going to keep running, I would say in my mind, thank you, Mr. Alarm Clock. I know my body's worried about my well-being and I appreciate the feedback, but I'm going to ignore you and hit the snooze and keep running. Pain gives us valuable feedback that also helps us learn new skills. When we've said something to offend somebody and they let us know and it hurts our feelings, then we might have learned from the pain of being hurt that we should be more careful about not hurting others. It also helps us stay safe by avoiding greater pain. I had a silly story where I forgot part of my clothing for a ski adventure and I decided that since I didn't have my overalls, my bibs, I would just tuck my jeans into my ski boots. I had, I had neglected the bottom half of my ski clothing. So it wasn't a freezing cold day. I thought I'd be fine, and the skiing was fine. I wasn't affected. I noticed there was some pain going on on the back of my calves or in the front of my calves, places I wasn't used to. But the sun was out, the snow was great, and I didn't want to stop. So I ignored that pain. When I got home, or when I finally was able to take off the jeans and look at what had happened, the creases had caused these long lineal blisters on multiple sides of my calves from the pressure of the boot compressing my folded over jean. Well, let me tell you, I had a lot of explaining to do whenever people would ask me what had happened to my legs because it was all over both sides and it took quite a while for these, these blisters that had formed to heal. So that wasn't a wise time to ignore the pain. And if I had paid attention, I could have alleviated it much sooner and avoided 
the what turned out to be a few weeks of very painful things on my legs. So here's something to try. When you feel pain, ask what information is being communicated. Is it like the hot stove burning your hand or an injured muscle that's been overworked and needs time to repair? Too much friction that's wearing your skin thin will leave a long-lasting blister. I used to have back issues. I was in a car crash in high school. Unfortunately, a couple had gotten into an argument while driving on the freeway, and rather than pulling over or taking a deep breath and constraining their anger, they had stopped in the middle of the fast lane to have it out in this yelling fest. Well, as my father came upon them in the fast lane, he braked as hard as he could and tried to pull over out of the way, but another car behind us didn't brake fast enough, and we were rear-ended while I was turning to observe the car coming upon us in the back. So this turned into a complicated, pretty severe whiplash. Now, because our spinal cord is so fragile and the stakes are very high if it's injured, meaning a severed spinal cord doesn't reconnect and the consequence is a loss of mobility, which is permanent. Because of that, whenever the body senses weakness in the muscles that protect the spinal cord from such an injury, they will spasm if there is any strain in order to lessen the chance of those muscles failing and allowing that kind of long-term permanent injury to happen. The spasms will stop you from doing any movement that could lead to a severe injury to the spinal cord. This meant that when my back would feel any strain, it would spasm and then lock up. It took years of therapy to strengthen the injured muscles and heal. The pain was a way for my body to communicate how the healing process was going, and it helped me to not overdo things and jeopardize my long-term recovery. Once, when my back was feeling tired, I wanted to ignore it, so I took some painkillers and I went back to the task I was working on in the garden. I didn't feel a thing until suddenly my back locked and I couldn't even walk back into the house. I paid a very high price for ignoring or choosing to disable the alarm on my body that day as I was on my back out of commission for at least a week waiting for the inflamed muscles to calm down. Pain teaches us what we truly value. Pain is, in most scenarios, temporary and passing. I recently had to have a shot. I noticed that I was feeling very uncomfortable waiting for the nurse while he prepped the syringe. I was clenching my jaw and focused on the possible pain. I realized I wasn't being present. I was thinking about the what ifs and what was going to happen in the future. So I took a deep breath and relaxed with the thought that the pain would truly be a moment, an instant, or maybe a couple of seconds of pressure. I also thought about how sometimes in the past, the clinician was so skilled, I hardly felt any pressure. And much to my relief, miracle of miracles, this shot was surprisingly painless. Because I changed my perspective. How is pain different than suffering? If pain is essential, is suffering essential? Are they the same thing? Well, yes and no. Suffering is not essential. It arises when we resist pain. 
I suffered far more anticipating the pain of the shot that I received than I did for the actual shot itself. Suffering arises when we question the value or source of our pain. When we review the past pain and forecast possible future possibilities for our pain, that increases suffering. When we judge our pain or our ability to handle our pain and condemn our lack of ability to handle it or um, tell ourselves we should do things differently, there's a lot of shooting going on. Like, this shouldn't happen to me, this shouldn't be my life right now, or I should handle this better, or others should recognize my pain or take better care of me because I'm in pain. That increases suffering. When we are constantly thinking about the cost of the pain that we're in, that will increase our suffering. And when we relive our pain and demand that others validate our pain, that also adds to our suffering. Some of you may be wondering how we got this far out in the weeds on a podcast about happiness with the focus on the playthrough principles. Here we are talking all about pain and suffering, and that brings up a lot of images of sadness. Well, here's a real deep thought. All suffering is pain without acceptance. This is where the play theory principle accept and build comes in. We can't escape pain. We're all going to experience it. But when we refuse to accept it and instead resist it, then we suffer, which is an additional unnecessary pain that we bring on ourselves. So yes, play theory can help us eliminate or lessen the degree of discomfort. To repeat, suffering comes from resisting pain. Accepting pain is acknowledging it, which then allows us to move on rather than dwelling on it, which keeps us stuck in it. Resisting intensifies pain, adding an additional layer of emotional suffering to an already unpleasant physical sensation. Resistance blocks flow and keeps our focus on the pain. It traps us in negative emotions. Think about me and the shot. The greater discomfort came from the suffering I brought on than the actual physical pain caused by the shot itself. Here's another example. My husband, McKay, is an Ironman. This means that in a 24-hour period, he swam 2.4 miles, or 3.8 kilometers. Then he hopped on his bike and rode 112 miles, or 180 kilometers. And then, in the same day, same 24-hour period, he ran 26.2 miles, or 42.2 kilometers, which is a marathon. He signed up to do this event. He actually paid money to do it. Was there pain involved? Absolutely. Was there suffering? That's, that's a little more interesting. Sure, there were long miles on the run when he questioned what he was thinking signing up for this event, but he did sign up. No one was firing a gun at him, making him do it. Can you imagine the difference in his experience over the months of training and finally the day of the event if he didn't want to do it and instead was being forced and consequently he was resisting 
every swim stroke, every bike pedal, and every step of the way, that would be suffering. We live in interesting times. A person who voluntarily signs up for the terrible physical pain of participating in an extreme event like the Tough Mudder race may suffer extreme emotional anguish when a text goes unread. Personally, I'll take getting ghosted over voluntary electrocution any day, but to each his own. And so it is with suffering. It's all in the way we see it and how we think about it. Feeling like we have a choice in an outcome can make all the difference. For the person being ghosted or not receiving a return text, they didn't choose to be ignored while they did choose to challenge themselves in the arena of physical endurance or extreme sports. There is power in our thoughts. So let's be proactive about the opportunity we have to affect our experiences in life. That's why play theory is so valuable. The four principles are great checkpoints to help establish a positive framework for our thinking. It's impossible to avoid all pain, disappointment, and hardship. So, when the inevitable challenge or pressure comes our way, we'll be much better off if we can accept it for what it is and move through the experience, building on the positive possibilities that are still open to us. Accepting and building is a powerhouse. So for our play of the week, instead of resisting pain, the next time you're feeling it, accept that it's there. You are feeling it without anticipating or hanging on to it. For me, with the shot, I didn't say, it's not going to hurt. I was honest and said, I might feel a moment of pain or pressure. After accepting the reality of the pain, then you can build on the situation by asking, what can you learn from it? And be curious if there's any purpose in it. Then move on. If it's a long-term pain, find a distraction or something that you can do instead of focusing all your attention on your discomfort. Now, I want to give a disclaimer here. There is legitimate pain that does take all of our focus to endure. If that's your plight at this time, our hearts go out to you. And I want to give a shout out to my friend, Chris Polson, who's had to deal with a lot of long-term chronic pain. These thoughts are offered only as a possible help to lessen and help manage pain with the understanding that everyone is fighting their own battle and no one can know how hard another's struggle really is. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening and giving these principles a try. We really want to be a positive resource for you in your journey of happiness. If you're finding value in these ideas, please help to share them on social media or by texting your friends an episode you enjoyed. Next week, we'll be talking about the power of looking outward and the irony of losing yourself to find yourself. Until then, keep practicing happiness.